decisions are either 50 50 or 80 20. so it's mm -hmm. just like a 50 50 decision is like what are you gonna have for food today like uh hey where does this the what color does my logo need to be like what right. does like if you identify 50 50 decisions you should spend as little time as possible on them but make a decision right like you need to make the decision but like don't don't like don't overbuild conviction for things you don't need to build conviction on the important ones are 80 20 decisions because you're literally forking your life you don't it is a this is a big deviation from what we were we were probably going to do and i believe we need to go all in here and I believe that every year there's probably one to two, maybe three high conviction, um, 80, 20 decisions that founders have to make. Hmm. And it's really about just making sure that you're consistent. Hey and guys, thanks again for tuning into the Undefeated Underdogs podcast. I'm your host, Sharath. Today I have a special guest and probably I can say this out loud. He's probably one of the coolest but very ambitious VCs in the town. So uh, I'm very fortunate to get Adam Draper on the podcast. Adam, welcome to the show. How are you feeling today? Fantastic. Thanks for having me, Sharath. And coolest uh, is always relative. So I, I, won't, <laughs> I, won't, I won't take 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 too much credit. We always say we uh, we invest in the weird things. So it's uh, well, not, to me, you know. that's like the coolest. And I, I feel like, you know, that that resembles you. I saw Boost VC's website. It's such a sci-fi type, Stanley type of a thing, uh, the way you design the website and your, your, your about page and whatnot. But for folks who don't know Adam, which is, which can be rare, let me give you guys like a brief intro. Adam is the co-founder and uh, managing director of Boost VC a firm that invests heavily in founders building exciting things in the future, right? I, that's how I put it. Like uh, anything that comes to AI, climate, you know, VR, AR, Web3, everything that counts that lives in the future, Adam is your guy. He wrote checks in companies like Coinbase and 400 plus startups. And seven of them were, I think, first or your second checks went to become unicorn. So, he has this massive, massive uh, impact on the whole VC industry and tech. And of course, the whole last name Draper is, you know, that sounds like incredible. The Drapers are going, uh, are, they made so much impact, like shout out to your pops, uh, William Henry Draper, if I'm not wrong, and Tim uh, Draper, your dad. So yeah. shout out to them for, you. you know, for introducing you to the world. Well, the, uh, yeah, no, venture capital can't get rid of us is what, how I would uh, put it. We, we, we enjoy people too much to stop doing this career, evidently. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but it just, uh, it, Boost VC, we're the pre-seed fund for deep tech. Uh, we invest $500,000 checks. We've been doing it about a decade. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I mean, the way I always think about it is sort of amazing people solving the world's most important problems, um, amazing mm -hmm. people doing important things, as I say. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, but other than that, you've got everything, like, you got it. Uh, it, it. I've been through, I mean, to, to, for the, the, for the sake of the podcast, like, uh, I didn't know I wanted to be a venture capitalist. Uh, mm. I, uh, sort of stumbled on this idea of trying to help people do cool mm -hmm. things. I grew up, uh, right with a dad who used to tell me about, tell us about 
business models and how fast Skype was growing and like all weird, you know, weird, weird things that uh, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. our family. Um, and I started a company and I've, I've tried a lot yeah. of things and a lot of things have failed, but overall I've, uh, I have uh, stumbled forward. And so I've, I, yeah. I sometimes feel at which stumbled into my, I need to give credit to my wife. Um, right. That's why I ended up writing, I, I wrote a book, uh, yeah. how I, um, and it's a guidebook to venture capital. It's called breakfast with pops. And it's mm -hmm. because, uh, every two weeks for the last five years, I have had breakfast with my grandfather at Buck's restaurant in Woodside, California. Mm -hmm. And we, uh, and it's just distilled knowledge passed across some bacon and eggs that has been, uh, <laughs> I think very useful to me. Uh, right. while building out my career. So I, I think, uh, I mean, five years ago, if you think about it, I've been doing it a decade, half of my life as a venture capitalist, I've been having breakfast with my grandfather. So it's been wow. like an incredibly, and, and like I used to hang with him every once in a while, but like we set a regimented like calendar item mm. and we, uh, I rarely have missed any and he has rarely missed any for five years. So it's, I don't know what number of, let's hear, 26 times five. So <laughs> Twenty-five breakfasts. Oh wow! Bucks, the restaurant must have been profited a lot. <laughs> it's great. I mean, he's been going. I mean, my grandfather's been going there for a, 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 however many years he has existed right. in California—sixty years, um, seventy years. Oh. It like it, Bucks has been his like. You go to Bucks and people go, "Hey, Bill!" Like everyone just says, "Hey, Bill." Like, it's, <laughs> he's very warm and welcoming, and yeah. you know can tell sometimes he doesn't recognize the people and like, but he's met so many people over the course of his time that it's just like, he's warmly greeted wherever he goes. Yeah. What a, what a habit that actually like paid off, right? Like your, your personal habit is actually impacting people like me. I don't. So by the way, I have to confess this. I, I know you because I follow you on Twitter and I know your dad, Tim, because he's, he's been like a legendary VC, but I actually never know your pops so thanks thanks to you thanks to your habit that I actually kind of uh, get a get a glance of who he he is and he's like his that's, thinking and whatnot that's actually pretty fascinating that you uh knew me and then my dad and then but because most people it's the opposite right it goes pops my dad me so right. it's a fun, fun that, that i appreciate that yeah of course and Let's right off the bat, like I have now that we are all already talking, uh, let's talk a little bit about Boost VC, right? The first thing I want to ask is, I, I, you you have that logo for people who are listening and can see Adam is wearing like a Boost VC T-shirt. Why that logo? What is what does that logo mean to you? Why is that oh. on and off switch? Oh, that's so funny. Uh, so it, it, it's going to be a way worse story than you're hoping for. So uh, you, you, you know, you, you always think like everyone puts a lot of thought into everything that they do. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think the most important thing about startups is that you just make a decision and move forward. And this right. is one of those decisions that we made. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll tell two quick things. One is Boost VC was not always a fund. It was originally a crowdfunding website for startups. Mm -hmm. So we called it Boost Funder, boostfunder.com. Mm. And we we're the first crowdfunding website to ever launch for equity on the internet. Wow. Um, but we weren't taking transaction fees. 
Hmm. Um, and I was working with these two engineers. I had sort of footed the bill. Guy named Alon Gorin and uh, Gorin and um, and and an amazing developer uh, and. And he, they, uh, they sort of built crowdfunding websites and I was like, Hey, we're going to build one for equity. And we're going to like, I had sort of a very fixed specific vision. Mm -hmm. And one day I, they were in LA and I flew down to sort of like build with them. Uh, mm -hmm. and they, uh, and they were like, well, what's the color scheme? And Alon actually has an email for me saying, Hey, I'm thinking red, white, and blue. <laughs> uh, and and he goes uh and he said and i'm like I, and which is a funny thing now that we've only done orange for so long right. um and so the next day i'm i'm in town and i'm talking to him and you search for the word startup in google right. and everything just has a power sign one of these logo one of these signs oh and i was like hey okay logo's been chosen for us this is easy <laughs> in the middle we were already called boost we knew that that was going to be the name which i right. found with them. and then uh he they had put it in red because i had said red white and blue and i said no i don't like the red change mm. it to orange let's see what it looks like it looked awesome that was it that's so it that's... from then on i just owned orange so i i used to wear i mean i still do most of the time and i wrote about it in the um, book mm -hmm. but orange neon orange pants and my all of mine are ripped and that's why i'm not wearing them today but i'm trying to find so if anyone's out there uh who wants who has like a pair of 34 34 orange pants uh like a lead on good orange pants let me know um but orange i i learned i mean the idea for this was hey we're gonna boost the company we're gonna turn them on we're gonna get them mm -hmm. going Right. Like that was the idea. Early stage. This says early stage in VC to me. Like that's right. what it means. Right. Also, I'm very proud because I have, I have three children. They look at this logo and they don't see a, a computer on switch. Mm. They see they say, oh, it's a boost logo wherever it is. It's a, on a computer or whatever. And I that's go, awesome. yeah, brainwashing. That's, that's a cool story right there. Right. Uh, I bet like every startup has their own version of you know, uh, how they decide and move quickly some on. Some people think too hard about it would be my uh, one. And some people, <laughs> some people probably think less than I did. They probably created a font and they were just like, I like this font. And yeah, you know, I, I recently started a project called Bluebee and the logo, it's just letters, you know, but the yeah. name came from my son. So he calls Blueberry as Bluebee. It's a great, it's an amazing word. I'm, I'm assuming B-L-O-O-B-Y, but. It's B-L-U-B-I. B-L-U-B-I. Oh, that's good too. Yeah. It's, Those it's are two good ways to spell it. And he's, he says like, blue blueby, blueby every time we, we sit for breakfast. I'm like, that's going to be my next project. To be fair, blueberries are delicious. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I think he agrees with you for the, on that. Uh, so let's go back to like history of VC, which you wrote in the book. And this is, by the way, this is, this is a great book for people who don't know VC, the LPs, GPs, and basically the nomenclature and everything. I learned a ton. It's so easy to digest. It's such a short book. Thank and, you. 
it's 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 literally you and your pops talking to me in the readers right like it it feels like that so kudos on that part it was designed with that in mind well it was a long i will say writing a book is a long journey and we went through a fair number of iterations but at the end we we i cut a ton out and i just wanted people to be able to read it <coughs> and i think there's some beauty to be able to sit for 40 minutes mm. and read a book right like i i feel like in some ways it's like an innovative format to read a book and have all the information there like there are a lot more stories there are a lot more yeah. things that we we've, we've covered just like an insane i mean 125 breakfasts 125 hours worth of like yeah that's dialogue. a lot like that's a lot of dialogue and some things are repeat and whatever and like but these were the common themes that i think were really important so i and i think it's 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 kind of like uh it doesn't have that uh, how do i put this it doesn't have that authority right it's like literally you know two people talking and you're like eavesdropping <laughs> and that, you're that, hearing like that's a great way of describing it and that probably gives me more credit than i want but i i i love that idea because that would be the goal is like you're overhearing us at the breakfast and like i literally like i i told this to my wife i was reading you know and we were in this is like a sunday morning <laughs> and i said like i'm literally sitting in a diner it it feels like that because i always imagine like every every line of the book i imagine an orange juice uh, a plate of eggs and meat yeah. and and was, some bread and some butter pretty, <laughs> like every once in a while it'd be an obscure order but like there's a pretty consistent two eggs some pancakes and bacon and like right. my grandfather was pretty, and then a black coffee he and i both would have black coffee and then he'd do something with this But I the, love that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so so let's go back to the history of the the whole VCN. <clears throat> As you mentioned in the book, I think you can't you can't miss Draper's name in the whole, you know, VC uh era, right? Like that's that's the impact that you guys made. And shout out to your great grandfather for like kickstarting the whole thing. Uh <clears throat> in in an alternate universe this is more of like a question to you what would you do if were you were like not part of the draper family and what was, i i know you you mentioned like you wanted to become like a tennis player and you love australians <laughs> but what is something that you do as a, as a builder or a, or a creator so for me uh i mean there's a big background to that but the um my answer to not okay not being a part of the draper family i still but, but i am so i'll say like let's say we're in a different profession different career mm-hmm. um like everyone does something different if i venture capital was not on the table um look the things i really love are novel ideas uh mm-hmm. and really uh you independent thinkers uh mm. who who default to movement is something that we say in the book but like think mm-hmm. people who continue to try things even if the first mm. time it doesn't work um i think that the best place to have that intersection is in venture capital where i get to every day uh 
if you think about what my day is, it's, you know, nine hours of these amazing founders telling me that there's a problem they're going to solve. Mm. And if you see that on a scale of like, I'm going to solve climate change, I'm going to solve world finance, I'm going to solve, like, how can you not be optimistic at the end of like months, mm. years of this, right? Like you have to be pretty excited that there's mm. so many great people trying to solve the hardest problems. Uh, but that said, I would probably be in the comic book industry. And I mm. think I would, I think I'd be very good at it. Um, I think I understand it fairly well, just as an avid reader my whole life, I, as a collector, this is, I have a good story, but, uh, this yeah. comic is my prized possessions that my dad gave me. It's, uh, amazing Spider-Man number one. I do not wow. own, I do not own amazing <laughs> fantasy 15, which is the actual first Spider-Man, which is a great story. Uh, my, my dad and I, um, I was able to set up a meeting where we got to meet, uh, Stan Lee and mm. we went and it was one of the most amazing Stan Lee who created Spider-Man, Fantastic yeah, Four. Yeah. He's um, an incredible creator. And I got to, I, I basically like got to ask any questions over the course of two hours to the guy who basically raised me through comic books. Mm. Um, and that was really special. That sort of led to me being, I'm, I'm actually on the board of Skybound, which is, which actually does create my favorite comic book, uh, which is called Invincible, uh, mm -hmm. which is up, up there. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so I'd probably be just based off of interest in the fact that I'd be dealing with really interesting people uh, and sort of spreading great ideas and optimism. I think I'd be in the comic book industry. Wow. Um, it, yeah. have you have you ever thought of like building one like for yourself i'm just curious like like a story dude, are you did you ever come dude, up with like a super such a hard medium to mm. express because you not only have to be very very good at, first up yes of course i mean like i I've, I've tried everything from i even made comics that were like three panel comics you know like uh, calvin and hobbs foxtrot like that sort of thing I actually mm -hmm. made some venture capital related strips. I, if I can find them, I'll share them. But like, I they weren't very good anyway. Um, mm. You can turn a lot of tweets into like three panel strips of a comic book, like a lot of funny tweets mm. into like panel strips. Um, and and then I've, I also, I, I had an idea for a comic that I, I used to tell my, she wasn't my wife yet, but my wife about, which was, uh, I had an idea for Ninja Cats. So it was like okay. cats that are ninjas <laughs> and they were, they were trying to protect man cat, man catten, like, mm -hmm. which is the, <laughs> uh, so, so I, uh, I, I went deep there. So long story short, I'd probably, I've, I have thought a long and hard about comic books, what the medium represents. I think it's also a very good analogy to what startups are, which is. Mm. Uh, all comic books are, are the lowest cost way to develop character driven intellectual property. So most things that you see on television now were driven by comic books, right? Like mm. any of the Marvel <laughs> things, any, like everything started with a storyboard of some kind. It's the lowest cost mm. way to create a community around that. I believe startups are the lowest cost way to build product. And so that's it, like in my head, very analogous. I'm 
analogous and uh i'm very i'm pretty passionate about both so it's, it's awesome great. i think someday I'm, i'm hoping that you would like produce your own thing and you know maybe my kids will read it <laughs> uh for now i'll i'll, I'll just uh I'll learn more about the business side, which is fascinating. And yeah, we, for sure. It did lead me to investments in Skybound, in <clears throat> Shortboxed, which is another company that sells slabs comic books. So mm -hmm. slab when it's in a frame and mm -hmm. graded. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, I've. It's you know what's interesting is how your long-term interests mm -hmm. when you're a kid will be a a business in the future. Mm. Like the, all those things that you're like, that all the geeks geeked mm. out about. Uh, yeah. I always think collect collections is sort mm -hmm. of a very, uh, a uh, human trait, like collecting yeah. things. Like that's yeah. a very important part of humanity. And like, Absolutely. I am an excellent collector. So that's, uh, <clears throat> that's probably the name. Awesome. Uh, so one, one thing I want to like, you know, pinpointedly, uh observed in 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 the last 20 minutes of our conversation is that you're a storyteller right like you have you have a story behind every experience and you kind of like you know narrated it right and we all famously know that founders are great storytellers and what is something that you as a vc that bring to the table from a storytelling point when you work with founders I think it almost uh, so it's first off it's a great question. Uh on the other side on the coaching I think there's an interesting way of like how my coaching has changed based off mm -hmm. of storytelling too. Mm -hmm. Um but uh what is my Sorry, phrase the question again. Give me the yeah. like I think you know your story natural storyteller, right? Like What is, yeah. how do you bring that quality or skill to the table when you work with your founders, especially portfolio founders? Or... It's, it's all about, it... okay, <laughs> founders are founders, okay? Like, I don't, I, I, like, they are who, who, like, who they are. And in order to hear your advice, they have to be in a non-defensive, uh, like, mode. I don't know how to describe it. Like they need to be, they need to trust you. Like they mm -hmm. need to trust that your advice comes from a space because founders are talented. Mm -hmm. Like they, they're getting fed BS left and right by every advisor, every, their mom, their dad. I'm not calling right. their mom, dad, BS yeah, people, yeah. but every single person saying, you should do this, you should do this, you yeah. should do this. And so they have to put it through a filter. So the storytelling of venture really comes into being able to relate I believe this is how I tell it. And I don't know if it's uh, no one's criticized yet. So maybe it, it worked, maybe it doesn't, but being able to tell uh, first person or third person stories. So being able to say, mm -hmm. Hey, this is why this is an important thing you should consider. Um, and what, because I was a founder, I'm able to say first per person, like if they're going through a tough time, I describe all my hardest times. Mm -hmm. And then I say, And now we get to find out if you actually want to do this and like, so, you know, figure it out. Uh, and like, that's, that's a, that's like uh, one of my conversations I have. So I'd say storytelling comes through in, um, mostly in conversation and advice through your own, like what you have done 
And so like what the, where the person respects you the most. And mm. so I, I'm, by the way, there are a lot of things that I give advice on that I probably shouldn't, but I'm a venture capitalist and I can't stop giving advice. But right. the, uh, but there are, there are a lot of things that I actually think I'm asymmetrically good at. And a lot of those things come when it's around mindset and, uh, when people are down, I'm very useful is because I can get them back. I can get them back mm -hmm. locked in, make them understand, like general, general, genuinely pull them out and understand, like a lot of people go through this, you're going to be back on it. And if you need anything, like we're here and then I spend time on it. And then, it, it, you know, sometimes it works and it's, that's probably the places where I find myself most useful. Otherwise just general brainstorming. Like a lot of people think there's only an A and a B. Mm -hmm. door and like if you can say well there's c d and e and mm. you can try any of those and we can help that um but storytelling i was just talking to my partner maddie calendar about this and she uh she, i mean we we were just emphasizing like good storytellers fundraise better they sell better yep. they like it's such an especially in the deep tech spaces that we're in Right. You can sort of get away with that storytelling in certain SaaS businesses and certain like not like, I, hey, I believe SaaS businesses is a business model. It's important. And um, but all you have to do is show metrics. You show metrics right. like uh, that's the story. Like people right. translate that story. That's an easy story to tell. Right. But in deep tech where someone's building like a rocket ship, hmm. it's like it's four years before you have a prototype like. Talk about having to be a good storyteller, right? Like mm -hmm. you need to be able to capture the interest of people and and paint the the like evoke the imagination right. while also being rational about the business model right. um, and like understanding where that money is going to be coming from. Right. And so, I your question is a very good question because storytelling is a big part of the entrepreneur journey, but it's also yeah. a big part of coaching with venture. And yeah, because I think also, I have to fundraise. So I have to be an okay storyteller. Although I will say, I, I don't think I was particular. I, I have been as good as I could be at storytelling and in fundraising. No, I think you're being very modest, but no, the reason is it's typically all of us, uh, just like the notion is founders should be like storytellers, right? And VCs are, VCs pump money and they kind of like advise on a, need need to need basis but i think that that's why i was like covering why you like think storytelling is such an important aspect oh it's an interesting question because we do, we have to storytell all the time like yeah. we, i have to build credibility i need the founder to understand that i have something i can give them right like that's we used to dude when we started boost vc we had zero credibility we mm -hmm. had zero reason for any founder to believe what we were right. doing. And so I had to sell. I was selling and we didn't have much money. We, we were investing $10,000 per deal. And mm. so I would go in and I'd be wow. like, this is why you should take my $10,000. <laughs> and like, right. I would be like, network. And like, I'd be like, throwing <laughs> everything at the, at the wall. And, you know, I'm sure some of those companies had alternatives, but most of them were, this was the first time they'd ever heard of the word venture capital. So I had a shot. Um, right. And then slow, slowly, once you do one deal, you can do two. Once you do two, right. you can do four. It once compounds. Yeah. And then, and, 
you know, you wake up a decade later, you've done 450 <laughs> deals and like, it's, yeah, uh, yeah it's, and you, it's, you, you feel like you've seen a lot. Like I, I, I can say, you know, yeah. I still get surprised probably twice a year, but like in general, which, you know, I will, bad surprises, good surprises, <laughs> both happen every year. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I think even your your passion towards like the superheroes and you know uh, that story, like building, really helps founders as well. But <clears throat> I have a follow up question on on that front. What is the non obvious way or non obvious help founders seek from you? Like usually, people ask for networking. Like founders, they ask, they seek VCs for networking, general advice. Uh, how to fundraise, how to grow, how to hire. But apart from those, what are what are some unobvious, you know, uh, things founders seek you in your like 11 plus years of experience? So the non-obvious things, I think that the biggest non-obvious thing is actually the most obvious, which is, they just need someone to talk to and mm-hmm. i'm i can i can be there for that right like i'm i'm mm. there to help them get to wherever they're going we're already in we're in the same ship we're trying mm. to make the ship work we're throwing ideas at the wall and sometimes they just need someone to listen to them mm. like when when a founder i'd say one of the things that's coming back into style which i like a lot is like I do think founders are starting to look for real partnership with their mm-hmm. venture capitalists. They're looking for, is this the right fit? Not does this person mm-hmm. have the most money? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's a very exciting phase where you start to see real legendary partnerships start to form right. in those moments. And I, in that it's sort of like, Hey, have you historically been a shoulder to cry on, you know, like with mm-hmm. other founders? <clears throat> been there in the hardest times of a founder. Um, mm. And I think that that's, although, you know, the founders are, we're, we're under no guise that a big part of what gets the founder in the door is the fact that we're investing money, right? Like mm-hmm. they need money to accomplish what they want to do. We happen to have raised some money. Um, but then they're also filtering based off of like, do they have experience in this? Are they actually interested in this? Like th- there are a couple of ways in which they're, they're filtering and like, we feel that we're very good at giving a network, which is the community of other peers who are at mm-hmm. the same stage in different industries. Right. Um, we're good at holding companies accountable, which sounds super unsexy, but mm. is super valuable. Yeah. And, uh, and then we're, we're, I guess, good in, investing capital into the companies. And like, those are sort of the three things that we primarily focus on is just sort of like mm. the startups are customer, right? Like whenever we find a gap that they need, we try to fill that gap and mm. all startups have different <clears throat> at different times. That's sort of the beauty of this industry is like, I can't be bored. Like the, the, mm. the, there's, there's no, there is always something that we can be digging into with a company that we can be helping right. with. And so we right. try to help as much as we can. Um, but we're also not there. The relationship with the venture capitalist is like, I'm not there to like, if I'm overstepping, it's not mm-hmm. good. 
And so you have to have this very nice balance where you're like, nice. hey, I trust you. This this is what I think. Now go for it. And so right. I would say the non-obvious thing is really just listen. being able to listen and then give feedback is sort of this like beautiful. Yeah. I don't know. I also I've become just over the last decade incredible friends with some of our the founders we back. Like mm. and now I've known them for more than a decade. Like I've known right. these people and I've backed their the first thing and then the second thing and then the third thing. And it's just like one of these things where I'm just right. like, Hey, I know they're going to hit like, maybe, it's, <laughs> maybe I miss on one or two, but I know that they have it in them to win. And like, that's, that's like, I love being sort of, those are the, those are the relationships you try to build. We're right. not, not to ramble, but like one of the things that's uh Ho Nam from Altos Ventures, who's an incredible, investor in my opinion um he he always says like early stage venture capital is a discovery engine and i i think that he's his intention is uh it's a discovery engine to figure out which companies are going to work i think mm -hmm. it's a discovery engine to figure out who you're the best partner with like and, uh, and you figure the, based off of the the deck of cards that you've dealt and invested right. in trying to figure out that. what the best is I love that. <clears throat> a couple of things you mentioned. One is uh, I want to definitely unpack the whole partnership thing because I think as as I am on the other side, which is more like a, on a builder founder side, and I yeah. talk to a lot of founders. One thing I I observed, which to your point is that founders are handpicking investors. Uh, it's basically it used to be like the other way, right? Like you know, uh, investors pick founders. And I think it still happens, right? Investors pick founders. Of course, that's like... It goes both ways. It's yeah, like, both uh, ways, right? So I think that's... I think pendulum than it is a like now then this founder thing. But yeah. True. Yeah. And I think it's it's the it's the partnership, that the bond that I think uh, people are looking for, you know, the friendships, like you said. And you mentioned in the book, which I really love, you dedicated a whole chapter for people, <laughs> And I truly believe in that as well. Uh, when you when you choose to play long term, you have to like rely on people, not anything else, more than anything else, right? So, uh, so one question, which I actually kind of you know, you you accidentally stumbled on this one. So I'm reading this book by Steve Jobs, uh, "Make Something Wonderful," the whole Steve Jobs archive. They published this free book. And in one in one of the in one of the pages, I you know this caught my attention, which is he really really emphasizes on recruiting. And he says, "We are recruiting people who tell us what to do, not the other way around. It's not like we tell something that they do, and they will do. Those are not the right folks. The A players are the ones who tell us what to do as a company. So my question to you, which is also about partnerships." when you look into founders like who you want to invest in do you think or do you have that recruitment hat like hey these are the folks i'm going to bring into boost vc which will not only help build my own portfolio but to help the fellow other startups and other founders right like what are some things that you kind of look into when you uh when you go through like founders persona 
Yeah. Uh, so I talk about it a little bit in the book because I think my grandfather just nails this on in his like how his framework of looking at people. He says high commitment, yep. high energy, high integrity. Those are his three. Right. I say authenticity. Integrity is important, but yep. <clears throat> Um, but those are things that are difficult to filter for. And so what you're trying to figure out is, do they have a genuine obsession with what they're trying to accomplish, right? Like, mm. are they genuinely committed to the fact that they themselves have the ability to solve this uh, mm. and they have a good enough, like, you know, compass that they'll do it, it they, they will work their hardest. Mm -hmm. um, I there's something about blindly optimistic people that is very attractive also. <laughs> and that like, it's just, you know, sometimes I'm, I, I, I get sucked into the blind optimist and it's difficult for them to like be tethered <laughs> and they sort of need a partner. This is right. why my, me and my partner work so well. I'm very much the drifting off into the space and he's very much tethering us in, into like, Hey, this right. is what this means. Um, and uh, yeah, Br Br Brayden and I have had a, partnership of 10 years now and it's been mm -hmm. going great i and then you know a part of my job a lot of founders hate the way i interview okay like they actually i've had people get very very uh like sort of upset because mm -hmm. i don't really ask about the business because if it's gotten to me in some capacity like i'm I know it's a big idea. Mm -hmm. I've figured out the one liner and mm -hmm. I generally know how they're attacking it. What I care about is whether or not they are, they have a novel way of thinking about things and like, do they have a symmetric ability to solve this specific problem? And mm -hmm. it's, you know, I have favorite questions I ask now I'm going to have to change them at some point because like those <laughs> favorite questions, I think it, it's become a target now where people actually are prepared for them. Right. <laughs> um, one of my favorites is like, what's the thing you're most proud of that you accomplished before the age of 20? Mm. And uh, like, if you've been in a career for more than three years, all of a sudden statute of limitations is worn off. And you're like, you know, <laughs> I ran a fake ID ring. And when I was 16, <laughs> I uh, did, a, you know, like I hacked the school computers or whatever. Those are the like, sort of on the taboo side that they've done. Uh, right. But on the good side it's like i was the first person in my f whole family to ever go to college i was the mm. you what i'm trying to do by being a question asker which is what venture sort of supposed to be mm -hmm. i like a conversation but like my job is asking questions mm -hmm. um i'm trying to like i want the the question and i'm sure as a podcaster you think about this too yeah. what's the question that gets me to the answer faster right like how do I get them to be their authentic selves as yep. fast as they can? And sometimes, and all all the time, you have to get them off script. Like that's right. that's yep. their that you need them not on script. If they're on script, it's boring yep. AF. It is like I don't like my fifteen to twenty minute conversations. Like right. I, you're on script. I'm like, hey, anyone can recite yeah. numbers. Yeah. Like uh, anyone, you have. And now in the world of Zoom, like everyone has their, like, I can tell if you have a PowerPoint in front of you and you're just like <laughs> clicking and telling me what it is. Like right. that, that isn't telling me anything about you. Like, right. what are the hard problems you've solved? What have you gone through? Like, those are the things that I'm trying to figure out. And mm. 
I'm not trying to overstep and like learn too much about someone, but Mm -hmm. like, I need to know how they, what they're genuinely like excited Mm -hmm. about, like Mm -hmm. what, what triggers them. And like, Mm -hmm. it's okay. And it's okay if they get mad at my questioning. Like I actually sometimes love being challenged and like, I can, I very much consider backing founders who are like feeling a little more, I want them to hold, like be committed, like own this, Mm -hmm. right? Like this thing. Um, I also need to like feel, yeah, I can learn something. Like I, I want to learn something from the founders and I want it to be a good partnership long-term. So like I am right. looking for qualities that where it's like, Hey, I feel I can learn a lot from this. Mm. I will learn a lot about this industry. Um, and this, you know, this, but even that, like, I just want the, really our qualifier at Boost VC is like, hey, is this, um, like, our job is championing human endeavor. And it's, where is, where are the people built, solving, where are the greatest people solving the hardest problems in the world, the most important problems in the world? And it's just about, like, getting in front of them, figuring out mm-hmm. what the, whether or not their problem, like, we feel needs to be solved today versus... Mm-hmm later and then sometimes we're able to participate and like right. it's you know it's one in a many but it's not uh it's yeah it's you know right now it's like 25 deals a year wow yeah i think your answer is so authentic that you know i feel like you're trying to like really explain how you prep for a founder meeting <laughs> right yeah. you kind of you, you just I like it's really just about, it's like, how do they react? It's like trying to figure out, like, can they do this? Can they, um, and you know, some, and even preparedness, it it doesn't bother me. Them being late to the meeting doesn't bother me because I'm late to some meetings and I shouldn't Mm -hmm. be bothered by that. It's more just about like, Hey, have they thought interesting thoughts? Mm. Like, I think that, people who think interesting thoughts build pretty interesting companies and like Mm, people tell me something I've never heard before and I have to get confused or I laugh at it or like Mm. I get a little like triggered by it. Like I need to dig in because that's a big deal, whatever that thing is. Right. I'm like, I've learned that there's a difference between being high conviction and stubborn and Mm. you want to be high conviction. You do not want to be stubborn you miss when you're stubborn mm-hmm. um you you mm-hmm. overlook it doesn't mean that you won't hit some but you you stop being stubborn is about being right and mm-hmm. in our business it's not about being right it's about yeah. like trying to create the best opportunity for someone to succeed right. um and what and the, the, you know sometimes you get right sometimes you're not yeah. but a big part of my book i write about it in the book is luck like yeah you you never want to blame you never want when you're lucky, you don't want to think you were smart. And when you're smart, you don't want to think you were lucky. And you just need some sort of like happy blend. I don't know what the word is for it, but it's sort of like the, whatever that is, you just need to be yeah. like, Hey, I'm still working hard so that I can get lucky, but you don't want to get overconfident. And like, you yeah. just need to know that like, Hey, that day, the, you know, the dice fell in your favor. I love that. Speaking about conviction, uh, how how do you like push founders to like build and develop conviction like if they lack for example uh if you see a founder who's struggling they do have like good knack for product they have good knack for market 
growth yeah. they figured everything out but the intangible pieces belief conviction belief i think you know most founders have the conviction that they play for long and they will forever like for at any cost they will do it like you know how do you how do you push them to like build a uh, conviction so i think everyone has their own way i i never want to in, enforce my specific <laughs> way on anyone because i'm actually unsure what mine is other than like all of a sudden <laughs> i feel very strongly about whatever the thing is yeah. um and i've bu- i've built it in weird ways before <laughs> that i like it's just you know um but when i'm talking to someone so first off founders who hedge uh, and by hedging i mean like hey we're building like a consumer product and mm-hmm. we're trying to sell to the enterprise you don't have enough effing money to do both mm-hmm. of those things you can't you can't mm-hmm. do it you can't straddle both you have to commit and mm-hmm. so i'd say every year you every founder has probably one to three uh and mike i'm going to give mike maples full mm-hmm. credit for the floodgate um mm-hmm. he said it uh decisions are either i'm going to butcher his quote but it's like this is how i think of it decisions are either 50-50 or 80-20 so it's mm-hmm. just like a 50-50 decision is like what are you going to have for food today like uh hey where does this the what color does my logo need to be like what right. does like if you identify 50-50 decisions, you should spend as little time as possible on them, but make a decision, right? Like you need right. to make the decision, but like, don't, don't like, don't overbuild conviction for things you don't need to build conviction on. Right. The important ones are 80-20 decisions because you're literally forking your life. You don't, it is a, this is a big deviation from what we were, we were probably going to do. And I believe we need to go all in here. And I believe that every year there's probably one to two, maybe three high conviction, um, 80, 20 decisions that founders have to make. Mm-hmm. And it's really about just making sure that you're consistent. And I, mm-hmm. uh, we go through, uh, three a year would be a lot. It's probably more like uh, genuinely most things are 50, 50. It's like, no, no, it's not that, um, but 80, 20 boost VC, we've been through a few of them. Like, Right. We, we've been wrong. I think the most important thing about a decision is to make it like right. the, it's, mm-hmm. you know, I, I went high conviction on adding virtual reality when we were a Bitcoin focused accelerator. And like that sort of broke the idea of what we were to everyone. And then eventually we were able to build up to this idea of deep tech, which was a big deal. Like now that we've mm-hmm. solidified as a pre-seed deep tech fund, like I feel like people know who we are again. Mm-hmm. It's easier to translate to other people. There's a community of us like, but for a long time, it was it it, it, it was we were never going to only be Bitcoin and crypto. Um, <clears throat> in some ways, it would have been easier in life mm-hmm. if I had been fixated on the fact that there were other entrepreneurs building with different technologies that were going to be like productive in the world. Um, but we, we that steady evolution actually made us a better team over the long yeah. run. Like we became better at understanding how to deploy in different technologies, how to recruit in different technologies, like all those things built the organization we have today. And so, yeah, it, I, I, that would be, your question was very focused on uh, like, how do you help someone build that conviction? It's really just about them making the call and giving them a time frame to make the call. And it's right. basically like, all I can do is give them as much information on what I would do or mm-hmm. what I've seen happen as possible. 
and them translate it to themselves and be like, hey, because mm. founders are the market master, right? Like you're obsessed with whatever you're doing way more than right. I'll ever. Yeah. Like I'm, if I know more about your industry than you do, like you mm. should, I should probably do your thing, right? Like I should probably <laughs> start the company, not back it. Right, um, yeah. So like my, my job is just to say like, hey, I do understand what you're going through right now. Mm. These are the things you think about. Um, but the most important thing is just to make a, a decision and stick with it and own it. And like, I think a lot of people uh, still try to hedge. That's, mm. This is the thing that kills most companies, hedging on hard decisions because they want to keep a door open and mm. the open doors, they, they need to be closed for focus. And uh, you can't maintain an, I mean, I already used this example, but like an enterprise business and a consumer business, like mm. at the stage of an early stage startup, they're two different customers. It's just impossible. Like you can't right. do it um, because you run out of money. Like mm. enterprise, every, the, the, my, the hardest conversations I have are when a founder goes, uh, you know, in six months, we'll be able to sell to Sony or like one of these big mm -hmm. conglomerates companies, I'm just like, God, you're going to die in six months because they're going to push it another three. They have all the time in the world and you have mm -hmm. eight months of money and mm -hmm. like you have to figure it out at time. So right. figure, figure it out. They are not your customer. Figure out who is. Right. And like, that's when I wish founders would listen to me because that would be helpful. But yeah, doesn't always happen. Yeah. So I think both in both of your answers, even before you were talking about like <clears throat> this founder seek like uh, a shoulder, you know, to cry on or, you know, someone to listen. And even now you're, you're kind of helping them to like, if, if, if a founder is a horse, your job as a VC is to like, you know, bring them to the lake and it's up to them to like drink or not. Oh, right? Yeah. Like, no, my, yeah, completely. Yeah. Dude, and, it, and, and our job is not to criticize, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's, Hey, we're behind. It's literally to blindly support. Yeah. Like for just being like, Hey, we trust. Yeah. You are making the best decision with the information you have on hand. And I trust your decision-making. Like that's what we're trying to say. And is that why in the book you, you mentioned that we see is a service job, right? It's more of like you're serving the founders. So Talk to me about that whole philosophy. Is is that that something that you borrowed from pops or your dad? Like, how did you inculcate I, in boost? I think that was more experience. Uh, <laughs> I realized over time there's this. I think there's a um, dichotomy between what people believe venture capital is and what it mm -hmm. actually is, right? And it's it, it's more of a gravitas concept than anything else, and it is not like the glamorous all your calls you're getting either hey we did well calls or shit hit the fan calls <laughs> sorry I swear. no um, that's fine that's fine but you like can... those are those are the two types of like you you get the bookends right and you have right. to figure out what type of call is coming in on any given day and figure out where you are best useful I mean, all people, it has nothing to do with venture capital. Like we want to be useful, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm trying to put my myself in a position where I'm the most useful to the most people. Mm -hmm. And in venture, that's what we, we are. Like I go and I, 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 I do have an affinity. One other thing about being in deep tech 
is uh, I don't know why I put quotes, but uh, the, the, the one of the other thing is there's no one who's like an expert on deep tech, so it's way easier to build a brand in it. <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> so, yeah. That's useful too. Like I keep going into these industries where no one really understands and just sort of like being obsessed with them. I get to, right. I, I, I don't understand it better than anyone else, but like if I, if I get there faster, I at least get to have a little thought leadership. Right. Um, yeah, dude, venture is a service industry. There's no way around this. Like, and I think if you listen to even the greatest, all of the best VCs over the history of 70 years of, of, Real venture capital. There's other venture capital mm -hmm, over mm -hmm. yeah, that I just like startup venture capital. Yeah. But like <clears throat> what we believe is venture capital. Everyone just they talk about it and they know that the the startups are the hero, right? Like mm. the startup is the one who's literally a sorcerer or sorceress willing something into existence. I think that the average human doesn't understand how difficult that is, like mm -hmm. how incredibly excruciatingly like, uh, lonely that mm -hmm. process is. And I think venture capitalists, if, if, if you empathize with that struggle, you become better at your job because your job doesn't become about criticizing what they're doing wrong. It becomes about supporting what they're doing right. And I think that that's all that everyone needs in this. Mm -hmm. It's, hey, what's the best option we have on hand right now with the cash in the bank and the team we have? Like, is it, hey, you're doing something that you can't do and you mm -hmm. have to completely change the business idea? My, some of my best businesses were like, I invested in a future social network, which to me, doesn't make any sense now. Like that, I, I don't know why I wrote that check, honestly. Uh, and it then changed to a dating website, and then it mm. changed to a video streaming uh, for mobile, and then it changed to a remittance company. The remittance company is the one that went gangbusters and just like absolutely. It, it, wow. Um, but yeah, it's called wave mobile money and it's gone. It's an incredible business. And the, and so like you, you never know. And so you just want to be able to help the companies at these intersections of like, Hey, mm -hmm. make the decision. Like here's the, here's where I believe the conviction is make the decision. And it's really about unlocking their own head than it is about you like helping yourself. And I, uh, Love and I that. think that makes you a better VC, like empathize with the struggle, empathize with how hard it is. And okay. once you've gotten past that, you're, there's a, I, I wrote about this in the book also, and I shouldn't just quote things from the book, but um, I wrote, there's a, there's a great guy named uh, Schultz. Uh, I forget his first name, Charles. No, Charles Schultz did uh, Peanuts, uh, the other Schultz. And he... He said on his hundredth birthday, he wrote a 13 page book, which gave me the idea to write shorter books, by the way. Mm. Uh, and on his hundredth birthday, he wrote, it's trust is the coin of the realm. And I recommend reading this if you ever want to, because it's a hundred years of a great man's life mm. um, in 13 pages. And mm. what he's basically saying is whenever trust was highest, magic happened. And that's mm. what you're 
trying to do as a venture capitalist, you're trying to figure out where trust can be highest, where you can give more. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's yeah. storytelling, right? Like sometimes mm -hmm. it's money showing that you're willing to give up more of yourself. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, sometimes it's just time. And, right. and so the service of these things is the most important part of building a career in venture capital. Right. Um, and that's, that's really what I tried to show people in the book is like, I think that people, some venture, some people perceive venture capital as like an elite establishment of, <laughs> you know, there, there's a weird, like there's a weird aura around it. Right. It, let me tell you, founding a venture fund is I think equivalent to founding a startup. It is difficult. Mm -hmm. Those tough times, uh, you're not being paid that much, but there's asymmetric return, just like with a startup, yeah. like if you do it well, but my job is championing human endeavor. That is my, the startup is my customer. I have to figure out how to earn future value off of that. Right. Um, because I'm definitely not getting paid today on it. And yeah. the, uh, so that there, that was a good, that was a good question. Yeah. And I, by the way, it's George Schultz. I just, George you know. Schultz. Yeah, I knew it. It wasn't Charles. Schultz. <laughs> I literally I like, you know, Sorry, George. Forgot, forgot. yeah, I, I actually kind of did the same thing, like under underlined the whole thing. Uh, Thank you. <clears throat> so one question before we, uh, kind of dive into the whole VC, like predominantly VC topics. What are some common mistakes that you observe in, in early stage founders that they do knowingly or unknowingly? Mistakes. I mean, mistakes. I'd say what, what I mentioned was the hedging where mm -hmm. they think yep. doors stay open. That is the single most popular mistake I see. Like, mm. It's a deviate and at some point it all falls under the, the emblem of focus right. um, and understanding who your customer is. It, in order to build something people want, you need to know who your customer is that you're building for. Um, okay. And you need to shut doors, not open. You, it's, it's about isolating the focus and knowing that there are a lot of that person out there. And right. most people keep all these doors open thinking, oh, you know, we're generating 10% of our revenue from there but 80% of your time is there. Mm. Like just it, the, the amount of people who don't understand the value of that time is the hard part where it's like, Hey, you know, Oh, you're fielding. So I, I always say startups undervalue their, their pricing. So they underprice themselves by about four X most of the time. Mm. Um, okay. And like, all you have to do is multiply your, your, know who your customer is, multiply it by four. And if you do that, and 25% of people stay, you will build a better product for those 25% of people. Because mm -hmm. all of a sudden you don't have to service the other 75% of people and they already bought in and they're paying. And like, that's, mm -hmm. that's what building a, that's with the, uh, Spencer Skates from Amplitude, he gave it just an amazing talk at Boost VC once, uh, where he said, I used to think that scale in a startup meant more, mm -hmm. more customers, more money, more, just more, more, more. And he said, I never really understood that scaling meant reinventing myself 
every 24 months. Mm. And so it's reinventing the company because your customer has evolved. Mm. You've realized that there's a, there's a play, there's an obsessive customer every two years and you still service, you try to service everyone, but like your focus becomes this. Mm. And so that's why things grow in the enterprise from like, uh, smaller companies to mid-stage companies to the enterprise companies like it, that's always the steadily stay no one starts the enterprise no one right yeah I've, that's i've yet to see anyone in their first two years close an enterprise contract right. and them care about it so you could get a pilot you could get a and this is t you know i'm 10 12 years in i'm not i, I i've seen yeah. them now. um that's not fully true no that's seven years in it's true like, and so just find someone who's receptive. Your goal as a founder needs to be to increase the velocity of your feedback loop with your customer. Mm -hmm. And so if money is not increasing, increase the feedback loop with the customer and you'll build a better product. Like they'll become reliant on you so much faster. You build a better product. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, so that's the most common thing is uh, yeah. deviation. Of, it's a non-commitment to a very specific thing to the, the most, uh, I mean, the most, I'd say the best thing founders do in those situations, they just go bold and they go hard. Right. Yeah. I love that. I, I, I love what you said about if you're not building revenue or not getting the money you want, double down on the feedback because you build a better product, which will eventually turn more customers in because, you know, more customers, more money. And like, and that probably means that you just haven't figured out the funnel to find new customers, yeah. not because. So you don't have you know, money. Yeah. Startup is just a series of solving a one problem in front of the other. What's your most gaping problem? Solve that. Yeah. Oh, you're not in front of a customer. Get in front of a customer. Oh, that customer hasn't paid you. Figure out how to get them pay you. Like it's like one Iterative. and everyone thinks it's everything all at once. And it's really just reorienting the whole team and company around one thing at a time. Yeah. And, and it's also illogical for someone who just launched an MVP or their first version to target an enterprise customer because exactly. there is no credibility. There is no stability for the product. There and is no waste, use cases figured and they out waste much time yeah. and hope they lose hope. They lose that's the thing you lose. Hope powers us. And like, right. if you spend your hope incorrectly, you're, you're, it's just, it's misguided hope. And like, I, not to be very harsh on this, but don't do that. Whoever, yeah, if yeah. anyone, don't, don't go to a fortune 500 cu customer and be like, Oh, they promised a pilot in three months. Like, just don't do it. Go to, yeah. go, go, go to the smaller customers who aren't going to pay as much and get, deliver something, deliver something. It's, that's valuable. it's exactly how Apple did their business too, right? Like they, they sold like 99 cents song on iTunes. That's yeah. That's like pretty, you know, pretty okay, right? Like for at that time. Well, before that, before that, their first product was the Apple One, which was a just, it was a tinkerer's uh, computer board. Like yeah. it was, it wasn't even, it wasn't high end. It wasn't all together. And they learned from that. They were able to sell enough mm -hmm. of those that they learned, hey, everyone wants it all together. Let's put it all together. Like right. solve the problem. That's, that's in front of you. Like they did yeah. it. They, they have a very linear way of looking at building products. And yeah, love that. So a couple of questions, uh, which are kind of like, you know, 
something I'm asking personally for myself. How should one founder pitch you? You know, pitch to Adam or Boost VC. What is like that thing that you look for when someone's pitch, you know, pitching an idea or their startup? I mean, again, it's like good energy. Storytelling is useful. I've never thought of it in that way, but it's like, tell me a compelling story about why this is the thing you're doing. Like why mm -hmm. this fits. I need to make the, I have to make the connection that like, you're a good fit for whatever right. this thing is. Right. Um, or I need to make a, like, I need to assume that you're just like very confident in your own self mm -hmm. that you will be able to accomplish it. And like, I believe that that thing is very important. Um, I think me, my, I think everyone, the storytelling way of doing it, I always think, okay, you know, our mission at Boost VC, um, is to accelerate the sci-fi future. And mm -hmm. so we're building the epicenter of deep tech, right? Uh, mm -hmm. so we're trying to build the destination for all deep tech, uh, founders to, and in order to do that, we have a fund to mm -hmm. invest in deep tech companies. And we have a demo day product in order mm -hmm. to help uh, startups get connected to other investors. And like, suddenly you have a very clear image about mm -hmm. like where I'm trying to go and then what I have today in order to get there, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that all companies uh, have, the problem people go into when they're storytelling is, they don't, they try to put everything in the one liner rather than separating the idea of their mission and their product. Mm. And so they try to be like, we're solving climate change rocket engines. I don't know. They blindly put everything into like a clump of words rather mm. than saying like, uh, okay, Coinbase, Coinbase. The first time you ever pitched me, Brian Armstrong said, at some mm -hmm. point the world will be on one financial infrastructure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that was it. That was his guiding light. That was his very mm -hmm. specific, like star That's in the dark. That's not star. Yeah. And then, but he, but he, what he was, what his product was, was a, it was a, just a digital currency exchange. <laughs> it was, and actually easiest way to buy Bitcoin. It wasn't even an exchange. It was just mm. <laughs> seven years. Easiest way to buy Bitcoin was his product. Mm. And that was his product to get to one. And then as you build and as long as you have a guiding light and you're building the product and servicing the customer, there are these moments in time where the wind's at your back. And if you allow it for it, you will know exactly what your customer needs mm -hmm. in order to continue on that path. And sometimes mm -hmm. the customer evolves a little bit. Sometimes it moves. You That's where, does like a great mission driven CEO can listen to the, the winds mm. and like know what the, what the product is that you need at that time. But most of the time it's just throwing stuff at a board and trying hard to help your customer. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I, it's like that. Uh, I, I, I've yet to see someone work smarter, uh, but I have seen success work harder. Mm. Like, uh, that, that's sort of the, the general, like, it, it, it's, I have, I, I have, I have yet to see anyone outsmart the work of starting a business. 
Mm. And, but I, every time we've, we've had a successful business, let me tell you, they worked hard. They were, yeah. Hard work, you know, it's, it's so underrated. Everybody wants to like, you know, put less effort in. It's like minimum effort, maximum output, right? Like <clears throat> that won't work at least in, in startups. Completely. Yeah. Completely. Well, it's because, you know, you want to get there faster and I understand it, right? Like I understand yes. that. And so you have to fall in love with, this is why your mission becomes so important. Because if you don't have that guiding light, if you don't have, if you don't have Brian Armstrong pointing to the fences and saying like, hey, one financial infrastructure for the planet, if you don't have me saying I'm, even for me, like me saying, uh, hey, I'm trying to accelerate the, the sci-fi future. Like mm -hmm. this is my guiding light, my direction. Like you might, lose you might get more distracted more you might think everything's a possibility mm. rather than saying like hey this does get our customer closer to accelerating this development right like this is our you know we've figured out how to build a business but like is there another product that we need that services them better or hey our fund product works but like maybe they need more money you know, mm. or less money or, you know, more deals or less deals. you know, like it's that sort of thing. You mm. have to figure out how to, like the belief you have to have in me is basically I, you have to believe that I am genuinely trying to create the epicenter of deep tech to accelerate the sci-fi future. Mm. If you believe that, you believe that all my decisions are going to be towards this. So mm. every single decision I'm making, whether it's my fund, uh, hiring, whatever the thing is, whatever I'm building at the time, like it's headed towards that. Right. It's not about my fund. Right. My fund is part of that, right? Like right. it's not. It's bigger the, the, than the, that. It's, it's, but all of a sudden I have movement and that's mm. the important part. So what I was trying to get at is like the part of storytelling people don't quite land a lot of the time is show me movement. Show mm -hmm. me that you've tried everything in the direction of that, right? Mm. Show me that you've, you've gone for it and <clears> just <throat> accepted things and just gone. Um, I right. want, what we say is default movement. We always say default movement. Like our favorite founders, it's not that there's new money every time we talk to them. It's not that there's new, but they have tried something and learned something every time we talk to them. Right. So that's my favorite thing is like, we that. thought this, it didn't work, but it turns out this is important. Right. Like that conversation, me hearing that, me, my ears ring when someone says, oh, but we learned. Mm. Like that's, and I go, okay, that's currency. That's money in the bank. Like mm. in my head, that's them building trust with me. Mm. Where trust with them is being with them when they're down. And like, so it's a, you know, we're, we're exchanging verbal currency throughout all yeah. the days. Wow, I love that. Uh, oh my God, there is so much I think founders can get from this talk. Uh, I thought like I'm having a conversation about you, about VC, but it turned out like, you know, we're heavily focusing on the founder side, which is so valuable to me because I want to be like, you know, that person. So I'm quite well, literally asking questions for myself well, in a way. You're, you're guiding us. So this is great. I mean, I, I hope it's useful. And Yeah, I, for sure. I genuinely love talking about this because I, first off, like the greatest thing about podcasts and blogs and like all this stuff is like, I've spent 
12 years. And other than that, I've spent my whole life talking about deals, mm. right? Like, I, like, I, I mean, I was raised on deals. I mean, whether it's monopoly, chess, risk, yeah. <laughs> whatever thing, is making deals. Right. Um, and like, I want my, I genuinely believe that in order to accelerate the sci-fi future, I have to be open and get more people involved mm. in that. Right. Like, I have to inspire more VCs to invest. I have to inspire more companies to start. And like me being open, my, the thesis. So that again, like back to solving the problem at hand, I want more people to do it. Like more Mm. people need to know that this is a potential career, right? Mm. Like that's just educating it. So open sourcing VC, I said it like two weeks ago, I don't know exactly what it means, but it feels like a thing. So I'm going to start just. I'm, I'm trying to give it all away so that people can modify and make I think it you should. I think you guys should start like a, like a podcast where you, you talk about these things in a much open way, right? Like there are less VCs that do that, like openly talk about deals, openly talk about misses or the failures or. So that'd be interesting, you know, almost, uh, um, like a chapter by chapter. Yeah. It's, Hey, we'll talk today. We're going to talk about, uh, this, like, like literally the boring, you could, it's like boring. I could call it boring stuff. Like the legal stuff that I've had to do in be a venture fund. Like just talk about it and just be like, Hey, this is all the boring stuff. I'm sorry. I'm more interesting than this, but the, yeah, it's not a bad idea. I like that idea. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. You know, would love to help as well if you if you you know uh, want some push there. But a couple of questions which I think uh, I think I, I think I'll get some more better more better answers than what you did. Which is when did you feel the most challenged in your entire twelve plus years of like you know building a career as a VC? You build you know your startup and you tried many things. And was like, this feels like so difficult for me to like, even. Okay. So here, I'll give you, I think all founders and I'm, I'm going to blunt me in the bucket and I don't give me all of like the level of credit that most founders should have, but I did found Boost VC and all founders are in a constant state of two things. Okay. You're either building conviction or you're, mm-hmm. you're executing on a strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hardest part is when you uh when your strategy isn't working and uh and so i'll give you like my example of this where i was the lowest with boost vc was fundraising mm-hmm. and my stri- my strategy of uh, it was 2015 um and i was raising a uh, it was our first institutional fund and I was raising a crypto, uh, crypto VR fund. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's hard to think of now, but in 2015, no one wanted crypto yeah. and no one, wanted it. <laughs> no one wanted either of those things. And now it would have been called a metaverse fund, probably something like that, <laughs> but like no, no one wanted either of those things. And uh, but in 2015, there wasn't a word for it. There wasn't like a, the, the, there were, no one had like articulated these things. 
Right. And I had just been, I had, I had gone into a meeting and I won't say who it was with, but it was with an endowment. Um, and it, I was on the East coast, I was in Boston and they, and after 10 minutes of me talking to them, uh, they left the room. And, uh, and so I was like, and so the state of Boost VC was we had two weeks of money left to pay our team. Uh, wow. I was in, uh, Boston, like on a sort of like, I wanted to fundraise and like we had started, we, we had fundraised, but not nearly enough to be able to pay the bills. And so I'm in this like spot where it's basically like, I don't wow. know this is going to go. Um, and so I go back to my hotel room, um, after this meeting, knowing that I got just it like destroyed, like it didn't work. Right. And I'm like, in those moments, you're like, I'm doing something wrong. Um, mm -hmm. but really the best way to think about it is control what you can control. Um, mm. and it's like, Hey, the only thing I can control is them knowing what I do mm. and what I've learned. Um, and the, by the way, this was after like, you know, crying on the floor or whatever I was doing to like oh come God. back real from the, from the conversation. But the, uh, but what I, I was like, the only thing, like the only way I've had good conversations is if people are already interested in crypto or VR. Mm -hmm. Um, and this was also a part of being spurred by my grandfather, who, uh, one of my favorite parts of the book is actually, yeah, yeah. In, He's asking me about uh, this light on this, but about fundraising. I was like, God, it's been so hard. I've met with 300 right. people, blah, blah, blah. And, and he goes, maybe you're doing it wrong. Like this right. is the, maybe you're doing it wrong moment, right? Like I'm in the midst mm. of like chaos and maybe I'm doing it wrong. And so I changed it. And what I did was with my next meeting was I said, look, this won't be a productive investment meeting unless you're already interested in crypto or virtual reality. And that was mm. my opening line. What mm. it does by sort of saying like, are you, it's basically saying, are you interested in any of these, these <laughs> things? Because otherwise this meeting is me educating you and that's fine, but like, right. I'm looking for money. Right. Like, <laughs> you only have like two weeks. Yeah, I'm here for this, right? <laughs> and so, so uh, immediately what it did was it locked them in to saying like, hey, we're interested you're here because we're interested in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. like we want to learn more we have a bunch of questions for you like uh and so suddenly they're locked in and they're asking questions given i, I might have already had a better relationship with them but i hadn't met them in person so i actually didn't have a better relationship with them um and so that that like for me that was sort of the hardest moment that I pinpoint is like the pressure was on me and my strategy wasn't working. And there mm -hmm. are a lot of reasons for that. Like looking back, I'm naive. I didn't like they're looking back. Hopefully I always think my past is naive. <laughs> um, but I, uh, but that would, that, yeah, that was a, that was a hard moment. Mm. And then I think the most important thing to ask yourself in those moments though, is like, knowing that this is still the direction you want to go, right? Mm. Like not about that hit I took. It's about like, I'm still willing to keep going for what I am tr attempting to accomplish. Like, right. I but, think that I am good at this. Right. 
I need to give myself a shot to show, and I have to have the team survive long enough for mm. me to prove that we are good at this. Mm. Um, and that, that's, you know, that, that was, that was a hard time. So. Wow. Um, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for being very transparent. And I'm sure like, you know, you came out stronger and like, even, even like a lot better in, in a well, way, right? My more wise yeah, well, yeah, maybe. I don't, let's not give me wise yet, but the I will say the next time we went out to fundraise, so that fundraise, so we that ended up, that next meeting actually ended up being our anchor LP. Mm. Um, and I'm not going to say that's going to work every time. That was sort of a storybook ending to my story. But the, <laughs> right. um, but it was still a long time coming. Like we had to figure out how to cover the bills for a little bit. Like there, it, it wasn't a perfect system, but we figured it out. Right, right. Um, but the next time we went out to fundraise, what my the thing that we learned was my partner made sure that we practiced the mm. pitch to each other, like, I don't know, 40, 50 times before wow. like every day we were doing these pitch practices. Because fundraising at the end of the day is a lot like cheating on a test, right? Like, you know, all the questions that are going to be asked. Right. And so it's about you it's figuring out what the best answer is. Right. Um, and headed in the direction that you feel comfortable talking about. And, and more authentically, right? I, I feel like more authentically addressing those questions. If there is like yeah. nothing you can do, there's nothing you can do, right? About yeah. it. So like if, when, but you need to know that that question is coming to be authentic in that moment. So right. you need to be so well prepared that you are authentic about it, right? Like you're not right. memorizing. The people who read off the screen, that's the less captivating pitch. I need right. them to know why <laughs> these things aren't things. Like, I, oh, the other thing I learned about fundraising, and this is good for you if you're ever fundraising or anyone. Yeah. No one cares how. It, mm. it, we as builders, we love how we do everything differently. How how feels like the differentiating factor, and it yeah. is. But for the investor, it's not. Mm. It doesn't matter. How you're thinking about it differently does matter. So like mm. it's. But I don't care about your feature set. I don't care about like it's one of these things where and my LPs completely the same. I realized no one cared how. I think I wrote about it in the book, but maybe not. That's awesome. Uh, oh man, I think this is the longest podcast ever I recorded the episode, and this has been like I'm I'm thoroughly like learning and enjoying the conversation. A couple of so I do this thing called Rapid Fire Five, where I just like you know blast five questions to you. That's like the wow. end of. <clears throat> I end call of it lightning round on my podcast. So yeah, something like lightning round, right? So. Uh, one crazy founder story that you want to share. One crazy founder story. Crazy, that I want to weird, like oh my god, this I never have experienced such a such an incredible or you know crazy crazier story. Uh, let's see here, crazy founder story that I want to share. Uh, for the sake of time, I'll uh, I'll pick a fun one. Uh. I, I always think, uh, well, I guess I could tell the story in a long way too, but the, I negotiated the terms of a deal based off of playing super smash brothers with them. <laughs> wow. So it was a company called make school, Jeremy Rossman and, uh, Ashutosh. They're fantastic. And they were high energy. They were doing this amazing thing. They were going to change the way that like people learn to develop. 
and it ended up being a school for, and it was actually became an accredited university mm. at one point. And the, uh, but the, before that they were just doing this sort of camp where kids would learn how to build mobile apps. Right. And, uh, and I was like, what video games do you play? It feels like a relevant question right. if you're going to be video games. Right. And I was like, mine's super smash brothers. They're like, Oh, we've been playing so much super smash at the apartment. Like, you know, like they're what we're talking about. I was like, okay, I will invest, but I will invest this much. Uh, if, if I beat you and I will invest this much if you beat me. and, uh, not to brag, but I destroyed them. Uh, it'd been it, like practiced all summer and like got all week and I would be, I hadn't played it in a little while. But the uh, I, my my partner were uh, we do play Super Smash Brothers for the N sixty four. So whenever people play that, like we are very good at it. So awesome. that's a fun random story. That's fun. Awesome, yeah, that's so fun. Uh, I can't imagine that 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 itself that that feels like a bit from the HBO show Silicon Valley. It feels like that, right? Like <laughs> I, I actually think finding fun ways to do deals like that. I do it every once in a while. I forget what the oh. One of the most recent deals that we did uh, is a fitness app, a, a fitness thing. And he, I said, how many push-ups can you do? Wow. And he said, <laughs> he, he said no, 100. He, I think what he said was 130. That's a lot. No, 150. And wow. I, was like, I was, first off, I was like, that, that's a lot of push-ups. <laughs> uh, I like, if you do 100, he said, if I do that many push-ups, will you invest? And I said, hundred <laughs> percent, pretty much there anyway, but like hundred percent that I will invest and, and boost will invest. And, uh, he sent me a video the next day of him wow. doing 113 pushups in a oh, row, man, so and, close. which for the record, a hundred more than a hundred pushups is ridiculous. And I knew how ridiculous that was. I remember in high school, no one could do more than 80. And it was like that, yeah. and that was like the most fit people. So I was just like blown away that he even got there. And so we still, we still did. <laughs> Love that. Uh, switching gears a little bit. That's like the fun part. Now let's talk about uh, what is the biggest miss in Boost VC's history, you know, in terms of investing? Like, what did you miss the deal? Oh, dude. <clears throat> I, I mean, the this is why I am so strong on it's important to be high conviction, not stubborn because I got stubborn about Bitcoin. So we missed on Ethereum and we were mm. the fund that should have owned all of it. Basically. Like we were the only shop in town basically doing crypto. Um, and oh. so when they did their crowd sale, everyone in our office individually, not, not uh, our team. Well, maybe yes, some people on our team, I didn't, but every all we used to, we provide we used to provide housing and office space and all the companies were in the office and they're all like the only story that was on Boost VC television was the Ethereum uh, mm. crowd sale and so every single person was participating with some amount of money and any if you had bought one Bitcoin worth which one Bitcoin at that time was about two hundred dollars so it was two hundred wow. bucks worth you would end up with two thousand Ethereum. 2000 Ethereum today is worth like 3 million bucks. So like wow. if you held to today, it would be uh, the best investment ever. So my answer on miss is, I, also, if you're in this business long enough, that's the one that I feel like 
hey, if I wasn't so stubborn, we would have done this no matter mm. Because enough people were talking about it. We knew enough about it. We knew how to participate. Few people right. knew how to participate. Um, we would have done this, right? Like if I had an open mind to the idea. That one we should have done. There are a lot yeah. of deals we missed in general for a lot, numerous different reasons. I've missed random things for not pushing hard enough, whatever. That was one that was in our wheelhouse that we should have just like, like right. I missed, like Brian Armstrong referred me a company that was doing coupons on the internet and it just mm. wasn't crypto. And so I was like, hey, like you guys are amazing, but like we're, we're <laughs> focused on Bitcoin right now. And it was Honey, which ended up being bought for $4 billion. Wow. And I remember that meeting them and being like, they're great founders. Brian, thank you for sending these to me, but they're not doing Bitcoin, so I can't do it right now. Wow. And the, uh, <laughs> so the, it's one of those, um, you know, be open. Don't be stubborn. Right. Be open. So now, now that you're in knee deep into deep tech, pun intended, uh, are you, are you open to like invest in other ideas that, that excite you? So the things that excite me normally are people. And so what we do is we spend all of our time in these weird technologies because we have a higher percentage chance of those people to be there. Um, if I hmm. spend a hundred percent of my time talking to space companies, I know that they're doing space. And if I like someone, I'll be able to do that deal. Um, so we mm. spend a lot of time in deep tech for that purpose. So it's not, so my answer is, yeah, we, I love, I, love, I, I mean, love my, you. I've done, uh, the, what's the most, like my, one of my best performing companies, I mean, analytics was amplitude, uh, mm -hmm. construction software was plan grid. Benchling was life sciences. Uh, Coinbase was crypto, but that's just FinTech. Wave mobile money was FinTech. Uh, Polychain was a fund that Boost VC backed and we made mm -hmm. a bunch of money on it. And then, uh, like, I mean, just going down the list, it's like, you don't, you, you, you know, you just want yeah. great people doing interesting things and you just want to be a part of it and service the founders however best we can. Yeah, love that. Uh, this is more of like a personal question. Other than your father and your grandfather, who's your favorite VC in, in oh, tech? Man, that's an amazing question. An amazing question. Look, I, I like... <laughs> I didn't mean to put you on spot, but I just like you. Amazing question. Uh, the I, I want to answer it, and the reason is the same reason that I feel uh, like a lot of what Boost VC does. Like one of our actual cult values at Boost VC is like we give people a shot, and so we like being the first check. That's our goal is to be the first check. It's not to follow; it's to be the first check. Right. Um, and so thinking back, who are the VCs or investors who took a chance on me mm. uh, and who gave me my real first shot other than obviously my, my family? Mm. Um, and the two that are popping up to the surface, one I will eternally be indebted to because they were the first institution to ever uh, support me. It's a guy named Shemez Kanji who, uh, who it w works at Devonshire Partners and he gave us a shot at Boost VC, um, and I will like 
he asks me to do something, I'll do it. Like whatever it is, <laughs> you know, uh, it does it literally doesn't matter. Like he, he has <laughs> infinite requests. He could stop investing in Boost VC. I would like, I will still, he will always be my favorite person on the planet because he gave mm. me my shot. Um, the other is uh, Mark and Andre uh, Mark and uh, one of the reasons that Mark and Dreesen is on this list is um, he was the he was the last data point I needed to go all in on being mm. focused on Bitcoin. Um, and it was in an email conversation. I searched through my emails recently and got it. And it was like basically wow. just this conversation where I was trying to fundraise for this fund. And he's like, well, you're doing the Bitcoin stuff, right? And I, he's like, is it fully focused on Bitcoin? And I was like, now it is. Uh, yes, we are going to go all Bitcoin. Are you interested? And like, that was the moment mm. that I, I was like, hey, it was the, and then on the other side, he's made himself very available uh, right. at certain times when I've needed uh, assistance. And then he's spoken at a couple of my events. And like, I, I, I know how valuable his time is. So I've, yeah. I've been very, very lucky to be able to work with uh, Mark Anderson is like he's he's a legend. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. so and he's and uh, the other person on the Andrews and Horowitz team did part ended up is Chris Dixon, who I just think is one of the best thinkers. Oh, yeah, he's such a deep thinker uh, that that he would also be on my list. So yeah, those those and I I you know I have a I I do have a lot of VCs I love, but if you're gonna ask me who my favorites are, I have to go there because it was just like your like, Mount, Mount Rushmore of your VC. Like, you know, they were so important to me in my development. So, uh, I would say the, those would be the ones. Awesome. Uh, who are you most bullish on like the founder side, like right now? Uh, I mean, broadly speaking or specifics. So broadly speaking, right off like, your mind, like in, in recent days, this is the founder, like, you know, I'm very bullish on, uh, I mean, uh, Brian Armstrong from Coinbase. I think he's an assassin. He's just locked in. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> but, the, but if we're talking about more earlier stage startups, one of the most fun things that we, uh, that I did. So. I'll tell, I'll tell this in a very specific way, which is Coinbase's cap table was, I was a seed investor. I was the, one of the seed investors. I think I was the first check other than YC, but that's besides the point. Mm -hmm. Um, the, so was me and then, uh, Fred Wilson from USV did the series a, mm -hmm. and then Andreessen Horowitz did the series B, uh, recently. Radiant, which does nuclear uh, fission, portable nuclear fission uh, systems, um, raised from Boost VC, me, uh, from Fred Wilson at Union <laughs> Square. Same pattern. And from Andres and Horowitz. And so <laughs> I, uh, I believe, you know, we'll, we'll see, but I am, a, I said yes to the founder in about 15 minutes. Wow. I thought uh, Doug burn hour from radiant was incredible. Um, awesome. I mean, my other, uh, the, I, I think it's a good idea to talk about who, who like the people who are these, I have some incredible partners, pe people I'm partnered with, right. but 
I can verifiably say also the person I'm, I'm sad mm. that we sold the company. There mm. is a, a founder named Max Hout, who I have known for 15 years. I was on mm. his board at Livestream, and then he sold that company. And then I was lucky enough to be able to invest in launcher, which was a space rocket company. Wow. And, uh, and then recent, and then we, we took a big bet, um, and recently it sold and I'm, uh, I'm sad because I ended up taking a board seat and I absolutely loved being a part of the day to day. And so it was one of these, like, I, it was a talk about a, a founder who I've like absolute trust in. And I feel mm -hmm. like that's a partnership that I will strive for, for every partnership I take on from now on, that would be the other one. Awesome. So we'll definitely include all the shout outs in the show notes. Last question. <clears throat> you asked this question, you know, uh, to your grandfather in the book. So I want to ask you, what's the favorite investment you ever made? Don't, don't, please don't tell Coinbase that I am apart from that. <laughs> the funny thing is I always, when you ask VCs this, it is uh, funny how often it is their best investment. Um, but the, but my, and my grandpa's was a good one. It was measure X. He always loved it because he would go around uh, the board meetings were always in like Scotland or Japan or whatever. <laughs> um, but for me, uh, I think I've had a few defining investments and if I'm going to go like hard on where I have defined my convictions right. to extreme which I think is always pushing yourself mm -hmm. is launcher with max. I, uh, I, I bet the farm a little bit on max as a personally and through boost. And I went, uh, and I, uh, because I just have so much trust in how he operates. Mm. Um, and I think that it pushed me as a VC to step in and understand what he's going through and, I feel like it made me a better investor. I think my other than like the successful deals I've done where I was actually, you know, Coinbase, I was, I look back through and like, yeah, I was incredibly useful, I think, to Coinbase Amplitude Benchling, like year one and two. But like, I'm at year five with Max and I still feel like I've been able to sort of le level up and I'm still learning and I'm still getting mm. into it. And I've, I still have information that I've gleaned from it that are, is like, going to pay dividends for a very, very long time. Nice. Also, you know, when the, when the partnership essentially ends, I'm still friends with him, which is mm. incredible. Um, but I was sad when it happened, mm. not sad. Like I'm, I'm happy. We did what was right for everyone. Like right. everyone, we did what was right in the moment. Um, but I'm sad because I believe there was still more to be learned and there was still more to push. And, um, but we, it was the best, it was the best thing for the company. I'm absolutely obsessed that they ended up at vast and they're building the biggest space station that will ever exist. Mm -hmm. uh, they recognize how talented Max and his team was, mm -hmm. uh, which was, the, you know, um, which is the most important thing, but that's one of the ones where I would say it's my favorite. It wasn't necessarily on multiples, the best financial return. It, it, it was fine. Like mm -hmm. we made money, but the, the thing that was, it was me taking a real shot mm -hmm. and I feel very, very proud that I did it. So it's that. probably my best investment yeah. I've made. Adam, I think 
we've we've hit a record in in at least in my podcast like this has been like the longest and the most high value packed conversation i ever had in in my episode my podcast history so i genuinely bottom of my, my heart like i genuinely want to appreciate you for the time and the one thing i want to just mention you is that you're one of the very authentic like i just met you today right I, we never talked before and you're one of the most authentic people at least in this next in this conversation i just you know uh, observed that. that and yeah man i just loved every answer it's so deep it's so well thought out it's so like you know you're more of like a servant leader in the vc space which i think you know i appreciate and uh, servant leader to me and i looked that up and i tried to understand what it was i i like it i yeah. like that concept and i think that's you know I, hey i'm not perfect but like i work hard for the companies we work for and i try to be useful wherever i can and i think that that is sort of the core guiding light of servant leader in this capacity so yes i agree so thank you no But thank you for yeah i appreciate and thanks for the folks any any last thoughts before we wrap up uh if you're starting anything interesting email me Adam at boost.vc. Uh, anyone who's listening, I I would love to hear what why you're starting your journey, and uh, I would love to help point you in the right direction if that's possible. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that, if you're hoping to solve important problems, please reach out to Boost. Awesome. Yeah, we'll put everything, every link in your email ID in the show notes, but. This has been great. I'm I'm grateful for for you for actually giving me the shot that you know I just called emailed you or DM'd you and you just said let's do it. So, so I appreciate you for uh doing it's this. Best. It's the best. Well, yeah. Sharaf, good luck. Thank you very much and hey, you're amazing at asking questions. Right, thank you. Appreciate it. And cheers folks for listening.